The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in November 2008. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio on the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Jan Maxwell. Jan made her Broadway debut, I hate to say it, about two decades ago in City of Angels. <laughs> She's still a young woman, let me add that. Currently starring in To Be or Not To Be at the Friedman Theater, also previously known as the Biltmore Theater here in New York. Tony nominated for Corum Boy back in 2007, for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in 2005. Other Broadway shows include The Dinner Party, a revival of The Sound of Music, A Doll's House. Jan, welcome to Downstage Center. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. To Be or Not To Be is a comedy. It's not Shakespeare, although there's some in the show. But for our radio audience who may not have seen the show, and I've seen it, it's hilarious. Tell us a little bit about about the plot line of the show, just so we understand what we're talking about. Oh, well, um, we're in uh, in where the uh, title comes from. It's uh, about this Polish theater troupe that is uh, just before the invasion of the Nazis in 1939, uh, Warsaw, Poland. And they are about to do a play called A Gift from Hitler, and the censors come in and stop them. And so they are a troupe that has been together for many, many years, so they have the classics in their pocket, and uh, they decide to do Hamlet, uh, that night, and the uh, main character is uh, Joseph Tura, who's the leading man who plays my hu- my husband, who is my husband, who's played by David Rashi, and uh, he uh, plays Hamlet. And since he's been ignoring me for many, many months, I have a penchant for young men in uniform, so I have a little bit of a tryst with a younger man. And I tell him to come to my dressing room when Hamlet delivers his speech to be or not to be. So that's kind of where the title comes from. It's also, it's also been two movies, <laughs> mm-hmm. one in 1942, and I can't remember when the Mel Brooks one was. It would have been about 83. 83. But since you bring the movies up, I mean, neither of them were smash hits. They were both successful films in their time. Um, how much were the movies a specter over what you were doing in terms of it being adapted for the stage, in your case, playing a role first played by Carol Lombard and then by Anne Bancroft. Well, to tell you the truth, I am so ignorant. When I first read the script a, a year ago, I did not know it was a movie. So um, I also don't believe in watching movies because it's an entirely different medium. Um, and also I'm about 20 years older than Carol Lombard was and probably about the same age that Anne Bancroft was when she played it. Um, but of course... You know, as as time went by in the rehearsal, I realized because a lot of the cast had seen the movie and and that there was kind of this pull toward the movie and pull to- away from the movie. I was of the camp that wanted to pull away from the movie, um, just because the mediums are so vastly different and the scripts were vastly different. So uh, the the stage show is much more body. It's almost more of a, a Mel Brooksy kind of uh, humor to it, and. Um, I, I do know the work of Ernst Lubitsch, who did the first film, and uh, and I watched Ninochka, and, and I and I looked at some Carol Lombard films just because I had an interview, and I thought, God, I don't know if I've seen a film. I think I have of hers, but so then I went back and looked. But it's it's for naught in 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 my case because uh, it's just it's I think comparisons are are odious in this situation and. Uh, uh, almost cheap shots, <laughs> just because we have to do such so much bigger 
uh, acting on the stage and when the scripts are much more body that would have never, never passed any of the censors back in 1942 when the first film was made. So, and I don't, I don't think we're in it to, uh, to copy people. I mean, I, I don't know why you would want to copy somebody's performance. I, I don't think you go into acting to copy somebody. I think you go into acting because you want to uh, live something. Well, the show itself, I, I'm not sure I'd call it quite a farce, but it's close to being a farce. It's certainly a comedy. And a lot of, you know, quick entrances and exits, people coming and going and all that. All the characters are playing it straight as though they're real people, yet in the audience we know that they're, they're comic characters. How did you find your character of, of, of Maria, the, the wife? How, in other words, you didn't see the movies, you didn't want to watch Carol Lombard. How did you, dis- how did you discover who Maria is and what she sh- should be like? Well, from the script, I mean, I, I um, the, you know, Maria has almost all of her lines start with, oh, how silly, or, uh, oh, that's awfully sweet. And and I think there's one line that kind of gave me a little bit of a handle on who she was, although it was it pretty uh, two-dimensional, but it, she she does want to be liked. I think that's one of her biggest uh, things in life is that she wants people to like her. She doesn't want to offend anyone. And um, I wished, I guess, as we were going through rehearsal, that she was a bit more intrepid. And then when people told me things like, well, in the movie, she goes, she has something in her boot, or there's some kind of a note that she, that she does something with the underground. And, you know, I thought, well, then I'm never going to see the movie because I'm going to get mad <laughs> that she's a little bit more um, wifey in this script. You know, she's, she supports her husband rather than actually goes in and does something. She usually just kind of is killing time until he shows up. Well, as the show was developed during the whole process of developing it before it opened, was it changed in any way to adapt to your own comic abilities, your own personality as an actress, to be able to take advantage of, of, of your, your talents? Did they change well, lines, was, change actions? That was the most challenging aspect of the rehearsal process, was that um, the writer couldn't be there, uh. and it was a new play. And that was very chagrinning to the cast. And uh, And when you're trying to work on something and you find... Uh, something that isn't logical or, you know, it's a black hole. You go, well, if we go this way, then we've got to go here. Then Because everything connects in this script. Everybody touches everybody else. And so there were just logistics, you know, that we couldn't, uh, we couldn't figure out ourselves. And the playwright was in London, and he would be emailed. But if you've ever... If you've ever been in a rehearsal room, you know you you really have to be there to figure out who's living what, who's who's bringing this to the the part, who's bringing that to the part, and how. And, and you know you you've got some talented people in the room, and they can actually enhance what you want if if you're a, a new playwright. And I he um, he wrote me an email. We we emailed uh, just before opening. We emailed back and forth and. You know, and I, I posed the question to him, why why weren't you here? You had a show, you know, being done on Broadway. And he had had an illness in the family and uh, three small boys, and it was just impossible for him to travel. So it was kind of, in that regard, the perfect storm. Uh, if, if, if anything in that regard could have gone wrong, it did go wrong, just because we, we needed him. Uh, we needed him there just for... Uh, just for morale, just for taking step one, two, three, four, and five. Um, but, you know, he, uh, 
it did it did work out we did email him it's just that it it took a while so you know for the, the rehearsal process was frustrating because it would take so long and it was written like a film so we had these vast changes in between the scenes <laughs> and you would be if you saw the show, you would be so amazed. There are only four crew members backstage and two dressers. Mm-hmm. And wow. there are 11 actors, or 13 actors. And, and wagons and drops wagons and Wagons and drops. And, and it's like a musical set-wise. It's, we have the fastest crew, the most amazing dressers. Uh, we just couldn't do it without them. Uh, it's, uh, they are amazing. Well, there's some major changes of scenery during only a few seconds of a, a curtain traveling across it. Voila, there's a different set behind And they are running, yeah. running, yeah. yeah. It's really, they're really great. It bears asking, John was asking how you developed your character, and you spoke about her being the wife. During rehearsals of the show, there was a cast change in terms of the actor who played your husband. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, with David coming in, does that in any way force you to rethink what you're doing or how much of it is then you, you've you got your line on it um, and, and you're going to go with it? It changes it very much so. It's a different human being that you're married to. Craig was... Uh, you know, younger than I was. So, you know, in my mind, I was going, oh, well, she likes younger men, so this all fits. <laughs> you know, this is the way I had to do it because my ego is, was getting <laughs> bruised, going, why is he so young? Why? And uh, and then when David came in, he's older than I am, so it, it was... It, 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 you know, it's, it's obvious. It's just a completely different human being. So you do have to do um, a, a complete 180. Hmm. And the, the the character we're talking about, your your husband in the show, I guess the best way to think of him is kind of like Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show, with a kind of vain and very egotistical. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. He he thinks that he's the greatest gift to theater. And, and there's a wonderful line that I will quote from the Mel Brooks movie in which he is constantly referred to as being world famous in Poland. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of that. It's, it's, you know, it must be a fun part for David to play because uh, you can just go crazy uh, with your ego. And, um, and, and, and the funny part is, is he's not that great of an actor. <laughs> and, and he can play uh, both of those very well. At least the the actor in the show is not the great an actor. Let's clarify. Yes, yes, David's terrific. Yes, yes. Well, you mentioned that you know up until about a year ago, you really were not aware of this, and you read the script for the show. How did you come to the show? Did somebody just send you the script? Did, had you uh, heard about it? I did a reading a year ago um, in Jay Bender's, who's a casting director who was pretty much championed my career. Uh, I did a reading of in his. Uh, casting office and uh, the writer was there and the uh, producers uh, were there they didn't know if they were going to go with non-profit theater or if they were going to go with a uh, commercial venue and um, and and uh, Nick the writer really really liked me and I was told at the time you know if it goes if it goes forward we'd like you to do it so and I was very happy with it and uh, so I was looking very very forward to it and then we did another reading uh, when MTC came, became involved and um, and then uh, it just fell into place, and it was uh, something I wanted to do, and um, it came about an, at an okay time. I was sad that I had to pull out. I had to pull out of a, a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf um, up in the Berkshires. Um, so that was kind of a sad part about it, but uh, 
but that will always that that'll be there for a while. <laughs> well, talking about things you wanted to do, you were you were born in uh, in uh, North was it North Fargo? Uh, North West Dakota. Fargo. West Fargo, North Dakota. Okay, as opposed West to West Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. As opposed to North that Fargo, West, of, West Dakota. Oh, West Dakota, that, <laughs> yeah. that hotbed of theatrical activity. <laughs> yeah, and, and neither of your parents were involved in theater. Although I guess your father had some sort of a, a liking for theater. Well, my father was uh, actually when I was very young. I saw him in Little Foxes, and uh-huh. when he slapped Bertie, I didn't talk to him for a few days. I I was uh, I was stunned. But this was amateur. This was uh, this was community theater, and he also wrote a play um, called Emmett, which is about the uh, the Irish patriot Robert Emmett, uh, because my dad is a judge, and he was impressed with his speech at the docks. So how did you become interested in theater? Was it through your father's love of theater, or was there some other, other reason? Yes, I mean, my, my dad was a lawyer first, and he's a little melodramatic, shall we say, and uh, and took me to theater, and then I my mom, when I was in high school, she saw that they were doing this uh, high school theater camp, I guess you'd call it. And so I went to that in 10th grade and then 11th grade, and then I had an incredibly dynamic um, theater director in college. And we did uh, eight shows in 10 weeks in the summer for about five summers when I was there, and four shows during the year. And I just, I, I, uh, I know that I've probably told this story ad nauseum, but when I was 16, we took a field trip to the Guthrie, and I saw uh, Tennessee Williams' streetcar. And uh, it was pretty much a, a life-changing event for me. And then you suddenly found religion for the purpose of getting to New York <laughs> and for 50 bucks. <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> well, I had a friend that was going to Columbia here, and, and, uh, and I wanted to come to New York. And I saw this sign up in the, the campus, you know, the main uh, building. What, what is that called in the campus, the main the student center? Yes, yeah, student center, okay. I guess. And it's just said, Every campus has something different. <laughs> I, know, I, I can't know yours. They call but. it different things. And if people give money, they'll name it after them. <laughs> but um, I think I saw a sign up. It said United, United Campus Ministry uh, going to New York uh, for $50. So I thought, well, hey. So I, I, I think I talked a girlfriend into doing it with me. And then she dropped out, chickened out. But, um, but I came. And... Uh, so, so just so you literally, it was like a, a mission trip to New York, or a, a, I think they came here to convert people. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and you said, I, I, but I, you just wanted the bus ride. Yeah, I didn't really, you know, we had, uh, I didn't really have that much religion in my in my life, so I didn't really know what they were doing or what <laughs> what they were about or what their mission statement was. But um, I know they sang a lot. They did sing a lot on the way there, and then I, I. Um, I, we stayed in churches all the way across the country, and then I left them in a church in Brooklyn and then went to, to Columbia and stayed with my friend uh, for a couple of weeks, and then I went back, and then I felt so guilty. I, I kind of drove the whole way back. <laughs> but, but your mission was to get to New York to see shows, yeah, to try to get see into shows? shows. No, yeah. just to see shows. Just to see them. Just to see, yeah, I was, I was the first or second year in college. So then how did you get professionally involved in theater once you went through school? Oh, you, well, you, I just came out here blind. Um and uh, a friend of mine had moved here beforehand, and, and they had found a, a studio apartment on 81st Street. And so I just came out blind and started auditioning, just went and bought backstage and stared at the wall for a couple weeks because the culture shock was incredibly, incredibly intense. And uh, I um, I guess I just I just kept doing it. And then I, I auditioned for a company called the Paper Bag Players, a children's theater company in New York uh, run by Judy Martin. And uh, 
and they hired me, and it was it was pretty good money back there. I think it was three fifty four hundred a week, and and that was about my rent. So so it was it was it was great because I loved I loved doing children's theater because the kids were so honest. You just couldn't get away with anything. They would call you on everything, and you would look out there. We'd go to town hall for a few weeks in the winter, and this sea of bouncing heads. They were just desperate for for theater and de- and it was also its audience involved uh, theater and all of the um, sets and props are from garbage so it's it's just it was it's it's a wonderful wonderful theater company they're still around and i don't know if judy's still acting in it but uh, uh that was a great a great experience and they took me to uh hong kong they took me to alaska they took me to the philippines to taiwan it was it was a great experience so how did you go from children's theater to adult theater? What was what was the shift? Were you able to get work in New York right away, or did you go out and do regional work? Uh, no, I did. I, I auditioned for um, the first. Do you remember this musical? It was about Jackie Robinson. Sure, about Robinson. Jackie Robinson, David Allen Greer, and Marty yes, Charnin. Yes, Martin Charnin. Uh, and um, I thought they were, you know, I had these callbacks, and I thought it was me and like eight black girls and I thought are they just I went to an open call <laughs> and and they kept me and eight black girls and I said they're I went you know they, they're totally making fun of me <laughs> and uh, and no you know they, they weren't there were there were a couple of white girls in the in the show and Martin Sharnan called me and said I don't have anything for you in the first but I do have something for you on the road tour of Annie if you'd like that and I said sure I'd like that he says, well, you have to join Equity. And, and I said, great. So I did the bus and truck of Annie. As? I understudied uh, Lily St. Regis and then uh, then took it over at one point. Yeah. I don't know if it was that same tour, but somewhere I did it. <laughs> so when we look through your Broadway credits, your first Broadway credit would be certainly a few years after that with City of Angels. You went in as as a replacement in that. Yes, uh, yes. They well, I I went in late um, when they were a hit. They decided to uh, add some more understudies or standbys, is what I was. And I went in and I auditioned and um, and because I'm probably the laziest, most unprepared auditioner in the world, I um I went in and I had one song and I sang it and they said what else do you have? <laughs> you said I, I got s- nothing? <laughs> I said well I, I I have that song and they said well we'd like to hear something higher. I said I could sing that song higher. <laughs> I, said, well, faster. I, said, I could sing that song faster but um, it actually is a lesson because, <laughs> because if you can sing you can sing I believe it's just I don't know why they want to put you through your paces but uh then they 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 um they hired me because they uh, they were a hit and so they could afford to bring on some other people, and um, and that was that was that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun uh, to to be in that. And then I did finally take over the Alora Carla role uh, mm-hmm. after a while in that musical. Then the next Broadway credit, you were part of the American company that succeeded the original Irish company in Dancing at Lunasa. Yes, they only had a six-month visa, so since it was a big hit, they had to get an American cast. So in in 
coming in, was that a full rehearsal? Did, was that a whole new company as if you were doing the play afresh? It seemed, seems that it might have been different than we often hear about put-ins where you have a week and you go on, yeah, since that was a pretty wholesale change. Yeah, we did have a month of rehearsals. I think we started in February and then we opened it in March, or we, we took over in March, and um, Donald Donnelly would would go back and forth because he he's an American citizen. He would go back and forth from the Irish cast to the American cast. And uh, that was a wonderful experience just because Brian Friel is, is just a brilliant writer. I've always wondered, and you're our first guest, I believe, to have appeared in that show, there is that extraordinary moment late in Act One where the women break into that dance. And I'm wondering, what was the direction of... What what was it you were led to experience? Because it was so profoundly moving and came almost unexpectedly and, of course, wordlessly. Well, I think there's so much repression, you know, in 1936 in, in Ireland for women. The men, there were no men around and and and, uh, and these five women in this house and, you know, with with all of all of this repression the sexual repression and this uh, and and the control junkie of the the oldest sister and 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 Maggie wanting to break loose and i think you just put this lid this lid the whole first act is kind of this lid in fact a friend of mine said geez it seemed almost as if you were sleepwalking and 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 I and he was saying it as as rather an insult that the, that the cast was not in it. I said no. That's exactly. It's it's just this uh, this pressure cooker of of emotions and 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 sexuality and and individuality and and wanting to, to bring your person forth who hasn't gotten a chance ever in their life. You know, bringing that having that there for 45 minutes or your entire life. It's, I think Agnes, who I played, was 35. And just this dance, this possibility of going to a dance was what it was. And Marconi, this radio that that came on and and for the first time, a powerfully clear signal. And a dance was going on in town and they were being told they couldn't go. They couldn't go. And it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. A couple of years later, a doll's house. <laughs> now, that again, a character who is probably a little oppressed, a little <laughs> repressed. Not not the showiest role, Mrs. Linda. Oh no, um, no. But um, doing that with Janet McTeer. Can you talk a little about about Dollhouse? Uh, well, it was actually um, it, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. It's just it was extremely stressful for me because I was. Uh, I was given a week rehearsal with the American Understudies and then a week of rehearsal with the English cast. Hmm. And we were up and going. We had about five previews and then wow. and then went into it. And uh, so that was it was it was very stressful. Anthony Page, who um, just a favorite director of mine, I think he's just I, I just absolutely adore him. Um, I started with him in his apartment. You know, we were we sat there and just talked back and forth and uh, I know I I had just had a baby and I thought my career was over and he had been auditioning and auditioning and auditioning for this part and then you know as you know <laughs> D list came up and I went in um, I went and he said you know you seem more Nora than Mrs Linda huh. and uh, he said you just you seem too pretty I said let me go to the bathroom I'll take off my makeup <laughs> I seriously did and I ran into the bathroom I came back and. 
He and he just came up on stage. He goes, "You really want this part, don't you?" I said, "Yes, I do." And but whenever I stressed out about it, or he said, "Jan, you could play this. You could play this part in your head. What are you worried about? I just want you to, you know." He just he gave you such a comfort zone and such he had such belief in his actors, and I think that's always you know I'm always happy when I have a good director and. He was uh, superb. With that short a period to to prepare and with with joining a cast that had been together, what was it like sort of finding your character mostly on stage? Well, I I, I mostly found it with with Anthony because uh, he you know he gives extensive notes and the, and he makes you repeat it over and over and over and he makes you repeat it to a point where you go I was I was so in that I mean I didn't I didn't see anything else I was so in that and he would say he would say uh, that felt good didn't it and I'd say yeah he goes let's do it again and and you know and I think that was and he told me later actually because he came to see me later and uh, my old lady and we went out afterwards and he said that it was actually a technique and I and I loved it I just because I think we learn so much from repetition even frustration or you know it's it's that's true I mean, I guess I'm being trite but it's true with practicing the violin or practicing the piano anything repetition is our friend but sometimes we hear actors talk about the spontaneity of the moment so to hear you talk about the repetition. How much? How, how do you balance keeping a performance fresh and obvious and and drawing from the the repetition of doing it over and over oh, again? Oh, but that's where that's that's where the light bulbs go off is the repetition, is you're doing it over and over and over and and even I, I'm I'm kind of rabid about it, but you know, five o'clock in the morning, I've come up with some of my best ideas for the character because I'm going over it and over it and over it and over it, and I do read. A script about a hundred times before I even start even thinking emotionally about right. it. Um, but and even after a show is closed, you wake up and go, "God bless it! <laughs> that's what I should have." You know, that's the line. The line was, you know, this was the operative word. And uh, but it's I, I absolutely love I love uh, repetition because uh, it tires you out. But in that in that fatigue. Uh, just l- different parts of your brain go off. I, I read that your next role, or what it, as far as we could tell, was your next role not here in New York was your favorite. You did Camille. My next role? You mean after, oh, the next after, role after, after that one? After Dolphin, uh, yeah. it, Well, it was my favorite until I did Galactea this summer. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with we'll start with why you like this one, then you'll have to tell us why it's been supplanted. Uh, yes. Well, Camille. Um, I did it in, in uh, this little tiny theater. I left. They let me out of Sound of Music for a couple of months, and uh, I remember writing to the cast saying, "What am I doing? I'm rehearsing on a porch and living in a basement, <laughs> making five hundred a week. What was I thinking?" And so I had the chronology wrong. So you actually had done Sound of Music first I before was doing, you did. I was this. doing it as yeah. So they let me out for two months to go to go and do that. And um, Richard Romagnoli, another favorite director of mine, uh, was doing her. And I was forty at the time, forty-one at the time. And uh, so Camille was. It was seen as an older woman, and uh, and it was just. It was absolutely a uh, a wonderful experience because, of course, as you know, Camille goes through the entire gamut of. Being a businesswoman, falling in love, losing her love, dying from consumption, and it's 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 
it's just so much fun to play all of those colors and all of those those notes in the, in that uh, somewhat melodramatic uh, play. Well, let's not uh, go past the sound of music, though, because that you know, was, <laughs> was the 1998 revival starring Richard Chamberlain, I guess. And you played Elsa Schrader, one of many roles you've played requiring a foreign accent. <laughs> Is that something that comes natural to you, doing uh, no, accents? You no, know, actually, I... You know, somebody came backstage the other day, and and she said, "You you you're not doing an accent in this one. Why not? You always do accents." Uh-huh. And I thought, "My God, I guess I do, but I, I hate doing accents because you have to start the rehearsal process listening to yourself, and you have to, and and so that's the first you know f- week or so is just trying to get used to. Mm, you have to go into the character through that, and where I'd rather go th- into the character." Emotionally, and then try to hide that, you know, that vulnerability. But um, I guess it was—I guess it was kind of a—it's a bit of a mid-Atlantic accent for that, if I remember correctly. You know, Michael Saberi, who who um, played Georg, was from London, and I think we just kind of took our cue from that. And I know she didn't want anyone to have Austrian accents or anything like that. So, well. You're you're too young to have seen the original Broadway version in '59, but you must have seen the movie version of The Sound of Music. Oh, so, yes. so okay. how did you then make Elsa your character rather than what you, you may have remembered from the movie? Well, again, it's vastly different. There, you know, as you know, I had two songs, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Elsa doesn't get uh, any songs in in the movie version, um, and uh, and just because we're two different people, and I hadn't seen it since I was you know very very young, so I didn't really remember. I think it was Eleanor Parker who played Elsa in the movie. Is that right? Um, but I did uh, pay homage to her because I remember in the movie, in one scene on the patio, she has trouble lighting her cigarette, so she turned around to light it so not to um, have to do the shot over, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> so I would always do that every night. <laughs> I'd have trouble with my cigarette. <laughs> just to give myself a little giggle. Well, how did you get into that? Now, you'd been in City of Angels, of course, a musical, but this was really after having done Doll's House and Camille and other shows, this was your next musical. Were you looking to be in a musical? Oh, not at all. No. I, um, I I think Susan Shulman was a big fan of a Doll's House. The, the producer? A, uh, the director. Director, director. Yeah, and uh, she was a big fan. So when I came in and they saw that I could, you know, sing five notes, uh, you know, she she uh, she she liked my audition very much, and uh, and it was pretty it was pretty easy. It's pretty easy to um, it's a fun character, and uh, you know, it's usually if they have a fi- five note range and they need some more somebody more of a an actress, they'll they'll give me a call. Sound of music notwithstanding, we're talking about some awfully heavy theater: Doll's House, Camille, Dancing at Lunasa. So then we come upon the dinner party. A new play by Neil Simon. Can you talk about creating a role in in a play by one of the great comic writers of the American theater? Uh, well, again, that was one of those things where uh, I think I, I I've been hired so many times in my life as you know with a, a week of rehearsal to go. Uh, they had somebody else. They did it huh. in D.C. first. Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't. They decided to replace that cast member when they came to New York. So I auditioned for it uh, again. Uh, Jay Bender, who you know I adore, because he's done so, he's done so well for me. And uh, he brought me in, and 
uh, Neil Simon was there and John Rando and I auditioned and I was at the time doing a show up in the Berkshires with Richard Chamberlain and I was driving home after the audition and um, they called and said you got it so it was you know I mean I think sometimes people have this idea that actors sit around and peruse scripts and eat bonbons but you know we just we're, we're actually just looking for work uh, but creating a role like that, as I said, there was a time constraint. There was also an entire cast that had been working with somebody else for a couple of months. Henry Winkler and John Ritter, as yes, I recall. Yes, Penny yeah. Fuller, Vian Cox, Lynn Carriou. And um, so it was It was a little frustrating for me because, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I started off quite... Uh, Quite serious, as I always do with with comedy. <laughs> and I remember we I had a week of rehearsal, and uh, the night before Neil Simon was coming in from L.A. to to take a look at the run through. You know, John Rando gave this 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 big speech at the end of the, the the day, saying, you know, Jan, thank you, thank you for you know taking this material and and you know really lifting and and <laughs> so the next day we come in and we do the run through, and Neil Simon said. I used to like this play before you were in it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he was kidding. <laughs> no, he was not. He was oh not happy God. at all. So I thought I was going to be fired, and he said, and I said, well, you know, Neil, I, my character had been sexually exploited, and I said, I've been doing this a week, and I, I take sexual exploitation quite seriously, but I know that it's light, and I can lighten it up. Um, but, you know, um, the question is, do I want to? So we we kind of went back and forth, and I have to say that um, Manny Eisenberg was pretty much my savior on that because, uh, I, you know, he called me. And I said, so am I fired or, or what? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Too many people have uh, spoken in your favors. Too many. You've got too good of a reputation. No, 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 no. Um, he just wants, you know, some, some things changed and... and can you do it? And I said, I, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll get back. I said, I, the question is, do I want to? And I'll get back to you on it. And um, then I figured, you know, that that it wasn't really, um, the changes weren't intrinsic, but they were more physical comedy things uh, that I could, I could pull out. So, hmm. well, from Neil Simon, a couple of years later. Alan Akeborn, who some have, I would say, wrongly suggested is the the English counterpart. But you got to do House and Garden, which is an interesting workout for people. It you, is. Audiences were at two different plays, but you were always performing one play, just running between <laughs> theaters. Yes, well, I was I was lucky. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so repetitive. But again, I joined that cast. They let go an actress. I joined that cast while they were in tech. Oh, my God. That's not an easy show. No, no show is easy to join, but no. that one is particularly intricate. It was a British accent. And I remember I went in and I, I got the script, met Joey Tillinger, w- went home. Then I started just pounding the lines in because they were teching garden, and I was in the in the other theater with the stage manager, learning blocking, and just trying to get through it. And uh, I remember being in my house and going through it and going, "Oh, I've only got four pages left. I've only got four pages left," and turning the page, and it was all in French. And I started to bawl. I was just like, oh, God. Oh, my God. No, no. And fluent, rapid, yes. articulate yes. French. And um, 
and I, I just, I, I thought I was, because I did, I don't know French and it was gibberish to me. And, you know, to put a person in a stressful situation and put that on top of it, we're not even talking about the, we're talking about the French accent, the words, everything, you know. So luckily my, um, Olga, my scene partner, she was very fluent in French. So I said, listen, if we can <laughs> shorten any of these, let's shorten them because I, and she, uh, she helped me through it. She could, she, uh, she really had her pronunciations and her French was impeccable. Well, I jumped ahead because of course, House and Garden are two linked plays, uh, the same characters at different parts of the same house and audiences watch them in two different theaters as the cast goes back and forth. So it's, it's pretty intricate. I've always wondered about the experience of, we always talk about what's the house like, you know, for an audience, you know, how's the house tonight? What are they reacting like? What's it like playing for two audiences in the same night? Oh, it was it was so fascinating because first of all, as an actor, when you say I'm leaving to go to the garden, you actually go to the garden. Um, and uh, it was it was t- it was extremely fascinating. The first night of performances, garden was was being uh, just uh, it was a laugh riot. And so they were, we had to time the curtain calls. So we would have to stand there. So we stood there for, I think, for our curtain call for a full 60 seconds. And we had three or four stage managers all the way through the theaters, you know, uh, trying to to, um, direct traffic and tell everybody where we are, speed up, you know, don't speed up, blah, blah. And I remember... uh, one night, they, I came out of garden. I only had one scene there, thank God, because many people went back and forth a lot. But I came off, and they said, run. And since I had joined so late, I didn't really know. <laughs> I, didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what the backstage was. I didn't know the layout. So I started running, but I didn't know where I was going. <laughs> and the stage manager was six months pregnant, so I outran her, but I had no... So it became an actor's night. I was living an actor's nightmare. I didn't know where the stage was, <laughs> and I didn't really know what I was going to say when I got there. <laughs> it was bizarre. And how far away was the other the other stage? Was it a, a good run? It was a good run because I had to do both curtain calls. I was the only one. I bowed in house, ran to garden, and came back for the final call in-house. So uh, I pulled a muscle, actually, at one point. It was about, <clears throat> i say it was about 20-second 20, 20 run. Oh, okay. It wasn't a couple blocks. Right? Oh, God, oh, no. God. <laughs> Okay. Well, that, that makes it much easier. Let's talk about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which, uh, I mean, talk about comic skills and all that as the Baroness Bomburst with uh, Mark Hudish as the Baron. Uh, that was such a wonderfully done show with such Great comic timing on your part. Well, thank you. Again, did that come naturally to you? Did you did you study great comedians? Have you watched Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett and all that? Or is this just Jan Maxwell coming out? <laughs> well, I always said it was just kind of me at home, <laughs> much to my family's chagrin. Um, no, it was it was it was pretty much developed. They kind of gave us free reign when we came in. I I had uh, given my spiel to Adrian. You know, when I came in, I said, you know, I just didn't see it as Germanic. I see it as more Slavic, and I think their the accent should be completely unrecognizable. And I don't think she knows what a samba is. I did, that's why I did the bunny hop and the audition, and you know, I gave him this whole speech, and he said, I, I agree. So he kind of gave uh, Mark and I <clears throat> free reign to do things because Mark played su- such a, you know, he's such a uh, an infant, uh, uh, two year old. <clears throat> 
stomping around, not getting his way, and with stuff. the teddy bear and all with that, with the teddy yeah, bear yeah. and everything, and uh, and I would say to you know, I, I, we we got to this one part, and I said, you know what I do with my own son? I said, don't make me count, and uh, so they we added that, you know, I would he'd be running around, and I'd say, don't make me count, and, and then we we would do that. I did a patty cake moment with him that I did with my son. Um, <clears throat> And I know that Adrian, at one point, he said he wanted, he, he wanted, you know, Adrian's, he does more dramatic theater than, than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He wanted mm, there to be more of a feeling of, 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 of danger and that these people are really, really heinous, heinous people. And so, of course, at five o'clock in the morning, I thought to myself, why don't I shoot somebody? You know, because I was, why don't I just, you know, like be polishing a gun, it ac- accidentally goes off and I'll... And it'll be like one of the soldiers, and he'll go down dead, and I'll just say, oopsie-daisy. And I thought, oh, my God, that would be so great. So I went in the next day, and, and I, 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 so I said, what, what if I shot somebody? You said that to the director? Yeah. yeah. And he said, well, let's, let's see. So we did it, and, um, and thank God there was a big group of people in there. They all f- just fell apart laughing. And so, we, you know, we got to keep it. It's an <laughs> enormous amount of freedom. And, I mean, having <clears throat> seen the show, it was sort of this big family musical. And in the middle of it, you and Mark were doing such sly, sort of off-kilter work. Um, you really had the freedom to, to create there and not just have to play. Because certainly the show had been done in England, let alone the movie. Uh, before that, yes, but if you think of if you think of what we did, because when I imagined the show, of course, I imagined big bear rugs and kind of Victoria's Secret uh, <laughs> costumes and laying around, and and they were very that was very tight. You know, I, I, I imagined long flowing hair and and uh, and these you big had, sets. And you had your hair in buns, <laughs> as I recall, and probably buns. heavily corseted. Yes, and. Uh, and if you think of it, we're, we, we, all of our scenes were in one. They're always changing a set whenever we do anything. So it really is more vaudevillian. And, and, and when you do vaudeville, I think you have to bring your own personalities to that kind of... And, you know, of course, they closed the door when, you know, it became... You know, because you give, it, you give an actor that kind of freedom, they'll start to absolutely run with it. They had to close the door at some point, which they, which they were... Um, <clears throat> Which they should have done, but I, uh, we did, we did have a lot of fun, and since it didn't really impact on anyone else, it was just usually the two of us out there uh, goofing around. Um, they didn't, they didn't uh, care. Baroness Bombers, one of several roles you've played where your character dislikes children, <laughs> yes, <I laughs> to know. say the least. What about your own son or his friends? Were they traumatized by you in, in this or other roles? Well, I, I said I, I was interviewed by Robert Simonson uh, in the Times, and I, there, is a, there is a girl that hides from me uh, when I go to school. Uh, <laughs> but they just came last Wednesday to see To Be or Not To Be, so maybe I, I've become a much more safe uh, person to her. Uh, but yeah, it's a... It's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to be the salt and all that sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and was that the case as well with Corum Boy, another show in which uh, I guess you were you weren't a baroness, you were sort of an, you were an evil governess. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. You must be at the top of maybe Jay Binder's list to <laughs> evil say people. Mm, <laughs> evil doesn't like children. Let's go for jam. No, he but, didn't. He but, didn't cast either of those. Okay, so. but Corum Boy, such you know, such a huge, huge piece. What was what was, it was? It was Dickensian in its way, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering, you know, when you go into a part that's that's pretty purely evil, what do you what do you get to pl- draw on when you do that? 
Well, I, I think, you know, I, I can't bore people with my backstory of Mrs. Lynch, but it's it is quite involved, and I, I think you have to think, uh, you know, back to the 1700s, there, there, you know, I'm sure there was an, a lot of infanticide. I mean, I think it was probably a form of birth control. You know, when you think of out-of-wedlock births that are rampant at any century, um, I think that actually in Sweden they called them the... Uh, Angels of Mercy, uh, or not Angels mm-hmm. of Mercy, but some, some, something, something like that, where the baby would be born and they would be drowned hmm. right away. And, and if you did it before they could take a breath, that was uh, religiously a, a good thing because uh, they wouldn't have a soul or something, hmm. or they would just be gone. And um, so I think that, uh, you know, in my backstory, uh, that, she, uh, that this had happened to her. You know that this that she had become pregnant and that she was actually quite <clears throat> aristocratic, but uh, her being a woman at that time and I think the horrible things that she went through changed her and she became very practical. And uh, I know that people think, oh my God, that's such a terrible thing, but uh, people's experiences change them. And I think when they've been abused a lot, they don't think of it as murder. They think of it as helping a young girl. Hmm. Well, in between Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Cornboy, you did Entertaining Mr. Sloan, where you played Kath. That's a Joe Orton show, a very dark show. What draws you to roles like like Kath, like uh, Mrs. Lynch, like Baroness Bomberst? What, what, what attracts you as, a, as, as an actor to these roles? Well, um, I th- well, Joe Orton uh, is just a wonderful playwright. I mean, I don't think anyone would turn down... Uh, uh, doing one of his plays, uh, his uh, Kath taught me so many things. Uh, Kath was so different from what I had ever done. Uh, she just one of those people that I had never played that can take in all the signs of what's going. She knows what's going on, but completely <laughs> denies any kind of bad feeling or or denigration. She she's she just keeps that that motor going of delusional uh, sexuality, happiness, housemaking, uh, playing, oh, you didn't mean that, oh, you're my little boy, and it's, it's, it's a remarkable character, very remarkable, and, uh, and a character I just absolutely, I, I really loved, I loved uh, that character. Um, I don't think it was the greatest production, but I think it was uh, the care. I think the play is really astounding. Earlier, I commented that I'd read that your favorite role was was Camille, and you said no, 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 not anymore. And you you <laughs> mentioned uh, the character in in scenes from an execution. So, how did that become your favorite role? Well, uh, I think that uh, Camille as wonderful as it is and as many things as you get to go through it is a, it's a bit sentimental and um and and being i'm an incredibly sentimental person and i have to cut and i and i and people say oh my god you seem so cold i've never seen that but i think that I, just because i am you know uh, i you know what do they say uh, food displays i cry at food displays you know <laughs> <laughs> um i I loved playing Galactea because there was 
no sympathy for this woman from the audience. I mean, this was the kind of play where the playwright throws the leading lady, Galactea, in prison toward the end of the play, and she is heckled by another prison mate. You know, she's, mm. she's saying, shut up, you've been in here two minutes, you know, screaming at her. And I love the fact that... I, well, Howard Barker is my favorite playwright. Um, so to do Howard Barker is always a dream of mine, and I will drop anything and everything to do it. I would do... Uh, I would do political theater nonstop if people would have me and if I could afford it. But unfortunately, it's not the most lucrative mm. uh, theater in the world. So, I, uh, uh, you know, it was it was. Uh, he's a very political, uh, sexy, uh, dirty, unproducible <laughs> playwright, mm. and so to get a chance to do. Have his you had work. much opportunity to do his work? Well, I've done... My husband and I actually started a theater company here where we did stage readings of all his plays. He's done about 50 or 60 plays, and he's only about 60-some years old. And they are truly... Uh, they're so dense. They're so uh, so great for actors. Every role is, 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 is very uh, multifaceted. And... Um, and he's very poetic. I, I am kind of a sucker for poetry. So I... Uh, just the poetry in his in his words is is just is just beautiful to me, and uh, so uh, to do to be able to do that role uh, was was a, was a great gift. And and since I think that you know I've said that maybe one in ten theatrical experiences for me as an actor is is completely fulfilling. And to have that just be this summer, I I was I was so grateful for that to come along and to have it be such a wonderful time. I was struck by the fact that, as we began this interview, we talked about the fact that you didn't come from a particularly theatrical family. Your your dad enjoyed theater. But um, your brother, Richard Maxwell, is a noted avant-garde experimental theater artist, mm-hmm. uh, yet we don't see you working side-by-side side with with your brother. I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> about about the different styles of theater that, that you and your brother represent or whether we will see you and your brother working side by side one of these days. You know, I, when we were, when, he, you know, he started uh, getting quite a name for himself downtown and and I would be interviewed, people would say that and, and you know, it just never ever has dawned on us, you know, to work uh, You're not together. home for Thanksgiving no, and no, you no, saying, never. Richard, you got anything going uh, on? Well, you know, I I truly can't afford to do that. <laughs> I've got you know a family to support, but um you know I I absolutely love his work and uh, you know I think that it, it's such I I just love going to his plays because you know I it's it's like being in a theater this musty old theater with its columns and its rules and everything and then somebody opens a window and 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 there are so many so many possibilities out there in theater and I think that uh, what he his his writing you know I never knew my brother was was such a wonderful writer until I started going to his shows and I said where did, where did this come from and of course you know being familiar you want to go Who, who'd you get that from you know <laughs> we're, we're, we're uh, six brothers and sisters in our family so did did Peg say that did Sue say that you know but uh but no, it, he's uh he's a remarkable uh human being and also an extreme talent and uh it's just it's just so much fun to uh to see him succeed you know it's almost just because i'm 11 years older than him and i was the baby and then he, you know he came along and usurped my <laughs> my babydom <laughs> um i um 
it was kind of you know my mother, my sister, my mother, my sister. <laughs> 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 but uh, to see him to to see him come and thrive in theater, he was in, he started in Chicago, and I. I pretty much said you have to be here you have to be here and and to see him succeed is just uh, just one of the biggest pleasures of my life but i read that you somewhere that you said you're not sure the two of you could work together oh, let's leave funding aside yes 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 well we would probably uh, kill each other yeah we're so close we're so close and uh we are so passionate about what we do that i think that his I don't know if I'd want to be uh, that controlled on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want to be... Uh, I understand what he's doing. I don't know if I would be interested. Although I've talked to his actors and I said, is it rewarding, you know, to uh, to do his style of, of theater? And they said, yeah, there is a payoff. And I, and I, and I thought, well, that's, that's great. That's interesting because I, I don't think I... Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I think his his theater is is more about the writing, and I think that my theater is more about the characters, and uh, and I I would have to build a character as I saw it, and I don't like anybody else. (laughs) Imposing. (laughs) Getting in my shoes, yeah. (laughs) I don't think he would get in my shoes, but uh, I, I do like to, I think it's, you know, a collaboration, and and uh, I think his vision is 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 really uh, succinct. Well, you're currently mm. starring as Maria in To Be or Not To Be at Manhattan Theatre Club at the Friedman Theatre here in New York. What do you want to do in the future? What 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 future plans do you have? I don't know. I um, I uh, I would like to do more Barker. I'd like to do more political theater. I you know of course like to earn a living. Um, I'm really not. I'm not, obviously, you can see through my career, I'm not the pickiest actress in the world. I don't say I have to do this. I don't have to be highbrow. I've done highbrow. I've done lowbrow. I just want it to be different. I want the next project to be as different from this project as possible. And um, and although it's trite as hell, I, I actually would like to try directing um, just because I have such a great respect for actors. And I have such a uh, uh, I just believe in actors I believe um, in what they do and what they can bring to a project and I think that we need more directors that do believe in actors and that that are collaborative and that like Millie Still for Corum Boy she's a fabulous director she made us all feel a part of it and um, was quite a lesson in the possibilities of what actors can do and what they can bring to it and being so open that we're all there for the same the same thing that we want the play we want to tell our story in the best way possible because in that way you give dignity to the audience they they're the ones that have hauled their butts there paid all that money and and you must respect that and in order to respect that you know your actors have to feel that they're not lying on stage, that they're telling the truth. And that's that's how communication, that's how we tell our stories, and I think that's what theater's about. 
Well, Jenna, I think that's a very good note to end on and to say thank you for being with us today thank on Downstate Center. Thank you so much. Center. It's completely thank an you. honor. Thanks, John. Fun. Thanks, thank Howard. You. Thanks, Jan. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theater Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.